Hey, welcome to episode three of the 10 Act Cap. <laughs> Hopefully I can edit all that out. Um, <laughs> welcome to episode three of the 10 Act Cast. I'm Coach Jason Tullis and I'm here with Coach Chad Beyer. Hi everyone. Uh, today we're we're gonna go over a, a few things. Uh, we're gonna recap the past couple of weeks since episode two, kind of you know where I'm at in my my exploration of running, and go over any past events and and looking forward to the El Tour de Tucson that's coming up here in Tucson tomorrow. Um, first, uh, I guess going back, uh, the Spirit World 100, which is a, a community type event uh, here in Arizona. It's about 35 minutes from my house in Patagonia, Arizona, which is very beautiful. If anybody uh, wants to travel down there and do a little gravel riding, I highly encourage you to do so. Um, the Spirit World, this is their third year. Uh, it is a community event. It's, it's very unique in that um, you, along with your entry fee, are included in your entry fee. You get dinner the night before, which is uh, everybody sitting down in a park, you know, having your choice of barbecue or pizza or or uh, or tacos, and and you know, and it's it's a limited event, so it's 150 people, and and just getting to know people, and uh, it you know, it's kind of a picnic type atmosphere, and. And, and actually, I think that's one of the coolest things about the whole event. Um, uh, the, you also get breakfast in the morning before before the the race, if you want to call it a race. It, I I kind of see it more as a ride, but you know, anytime you put on a number plate, it becomes the race. Um, and and then you also get dinner once you get back, um, or post 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 race meal. So. It's it's pretty cool, and then there's there's events that go on uh, before the Thursday before, and then the Sunday afterwards, and you know you just get to help spend a whole weekend there in the beautiful San Rafael Valley. So going back, uh, like it, I do see it as a, I don't know a fun ride and a challenging ride and and race and and uh, the first three miles are neutral. And then it wasn't a couple of miles after that. I mean, we were already going pretty fast. Um, and there were three guys that uh, broke off the front. And I think everybody else was just pretty content of holding kind of a, a medium style pace. And it is a hundred miles. So uh, thinking that uh, those guys may come back, but I don't know, seeing how fast we were going and then how fast they were going, I was wondering if they would come back. <laughs> Um, what was the weather like that that day? Oh, start 35 degrees. Um, I was actually wearing this uh, Icon uh, Lanel at the start, along with some pants. I've never raced in pants in my life, <laughs> but I was uh, fully kitted out in my mountain bike gear. As I, I'm in between gravel bikes right now, so I was on my 150 millimeter Scott Genius, and and so I think it, it 
my race pants and this flannel kind of matched uh, the day because it was 35 degrees at the start and it didn't uh, didn't look like it was gonna get over 60 for the day so wow. um, actually and it worked out pretty well I you know I uh, I was gonna go hard as long as I could and try to stay with the lead group as long as I could and then and then after that I was going to uh, just chill out and, and visit all the feed zones and just enjoy the day. And so I, I felt like as soon as I got hot, you know, I was, I was going to be going uh, not as hard and uh, the, my, my attire was going to match the day and, and which it did. So, nice. but uh, yeah, uh, you know, the roads are a little chunky that, you know, we had, I think they had 40 inches of monsoon rain there. And, and so there are a lot of, uh, ruts in the road but otherwise i i don't know i didn't feel it was i mean they warned everybody but i didn't feel it was too chunky but of course i was on 2.6 yeah. <laughs> 2.6 inch tires what do you uh, think would the, be the the optimal bike setup for that one i i think 650b uh like 2.0 or 2.1 tires is probably the optimal setup anytime there it's it's Arizona gravel and and their gravel is better than most of Arizona but uh there's always going to be rocks and you know I I prefer just to just to ride and not have to tiptoe through different rock gardens so I'm always going to go bigger um mm -hmm. I have raced that event on 45 millimeter 700c 45 millimeter tires and I've also done 47 millimeter 650b tires and i i thought the the 650b um fit that course a little bit better to me nice so um i was able to hang on all the uh, first miles is pretty much i mean so uh i kept drops you know, there's, there's kind of some rollers towards the top, but I, I kept getting dropped and I would catch back on on the descent. So <laughs> I was able to catch back on, on the big descent down to the border. Cause you, you hit the border of Mexico, uh, at about the 22, 23 mile mark. Um, and then you ride alongside the border and I, I had to work pretty hard to do that. So I knew I wasn't going to last very long. There were probably 15, at the time minus the three guys that were off the front and and uh yeah there's some little rollers and that's what's kind of this whole race is there are these rollers and they tend to add up over time and and uh they added up they added me up and they <laughs> added up and it, which added me getting uh kicked off the bat at about 26 um so yeah from there i just enjoyed the day and uh wished uh, our other coach coach john benson he was there and he stayed with that group and uh i think he ended up winning the 50 plus so nice um, beautiful day and unfortunately i wasn't able to stay for the party that night uh we had the the last aca which is uh the high school mountain bike race series here in arizona their state championships were on sunday and and uh my son was racing and so i headed over there to to watch that race so i didn't get to stay for the party but otherwise it was a, a beautiful day nice
Well, you know, I've been going, you know, tours tomorrow uh, and you've been transferring uh, from marathon racing up to to get ready for El Tour. How's that going? Pretty good. Um, you know, I did Chicago um, back October 9th and then I took a week off. Um, I rode a little bit that week after Chicago, but pretty much a full week off and then jumped right into some cycling training and you know, that first week back, got in a pretty solid week, around 13 hours and just a lot of zone two focus. Um, so nothing intense. Um, and then the, the second week, again, around 12 hours, more zone two focus. And this last week, um, you know, another 12 hour week. And then um, this last week before this one, I got in about close to 18 hours. So I stepped it up quite a bit. And you know, my body's adapted really well to uh, the cycling training. I, I've been kind of surprised how quickly I've been able to uh, kind of transfer over that running fitness I had and having a week off. So I think I'm floating around, you know, high, you know, 3.7, 3.8 for um, upper zone two right now, uh, watts per kilo. So I'm happy with that. I think, you know, FTP right now might be around five, just over five. So off of three weeks of training after uh running i'm I'm pretty happy with that <laughs> so yeah. we'll i think that's that's uh that's really good and you said 18 hours is that all on the bike yeah all on the bike i haven't run since chicago um so just all cycling wow man i i don't remember the last time i did 18 hours on a bike so yeah. kudos man that's awesome <laughs> Yeah, I've been having fun with it. I always get like dreams of grandeur once I start feeling good on the bike. So, <laughs> let's see. Yeah, um, yeah, El Tour. I mean, it's been going on. I don't, I don't even know how long. And and it was originally designed as uh, this perimeter bike race around Tucson, Arizona. And the course has changed over the years. And and just living in Arizona, it's always been a part part of me and a part of you know the company Tenac and, and you of course and and so a lot of memories made there and I've I've done it I don't a multitude of times and all sorts of experiences. I was a mountain biker and actually that was the first time I ever rode a hundred miles was El Tour de Tucson. Nice. Um, and I was uh did it on a tandem. I was <laughs> the first uh, time the first time First time 100 miles, first time El Tour. Uh, I, we had uh, Wayne Gorey, which was, uh, he was kind of an elite master at that time. And he invited me to be part of his group. I think I was probably 23, 22 years old. And uh, what, what year was that? He wanted, oh man, I, I don't remember the year. That's that's too much math for me. But <laughs> I, I know he, he wanted to break the record for uh tandem and so he invited me to do that and we did a couple rides which on the tandem prior which was good because there's you know there's some uh communication that needs to go on when you're going to stand up and stuff and and uh i remember it was run in reverse uh so it was running clockwise at that time so it's super difficult at that time there were two river crossings so we we dive bombed into Sabino Canyon and that was the first river crossing so position was really 
a key component. And uh, so we had to go pretty hard there. And then I remember uh, coming out of that was the first time that I ever remember meeting Gord Fraser, which is a local Tucson hero. Uh, and he was in his Motorola kit. And I, I doubt he paid to start. He probably jumped <laughs> into the race somewhere. <laughs> and uh, I just remember him yelling at me and Wayne. He's like, tandems to the front. You know, it's time to go. <laughs> <laughs> and uh you know that's what gord is in the peloton he's always commanding and giving direction and and uh and you know then you you come around and you have the second river crossing which uh you know at both of these crossings i'd say 99 percent of the people or even are getting off to yeah. cycle cross it was the second river crossing is is pretty big i'd say you know it's a you know you can ride the dirt road down to the river crossing and and there's no water in this second one and um so it's just sand but you're you're running a good 100 200 meters and then you're remounting and and then after that i just remember us going as fast i mean we were probably going 40 miles an hour we're just going as fast as we could there we did break the record. Unfortunately, there was a, a tandem maybe just just in front of us, you know, oh, five seconds or something. <laughs> That's a so, and, and that record's been broken many times since. And I uh, I know Gord went after that uh, went after that record with Jimmy Rigatello at one point. And um, and you know. Uh, there's been some other, you know, Floyd Landis and his coach went after the record. I think they broke it. And then just recently, I think Phil Tinsman and his partner, uh, they they probably broke the new record. And I, and now that the course has changed just since last year, I don't know what the record is. So, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a fun event. Uh, first time I did it, I was 12 and it took me eight hours. <laughs> I did it with my dad and we stopped uh, almost every uh pit stop and refueled and stuff but uh two years later I, I cut off two hours and two years later I cut off another two year two hours so by 16 I was going well into the four hour range uh but it's it's a good good event and lots of fun me memories there um but yeah the new new course definitely changes the dynamics of the event you don't have to sprint towards those river crossings anymore and it's more of a kind of road race um you know with the early break and people kind of watching each other plays out uh, quite a bit different than it did in the past yeah the demands in the past i mean especially you know after that, that year that i said we did it clockwise it wasn't too many years i think they changed it to counterclockwise and and so that first river crossing would come i i want to say like eight or ten miles into the event so it was kind of a you know right off the start it was a race to that first river crossing to get position because you're starting with i think there's like nine thousand people in the whole event but for the 100 mile it's somewhere around 4500 people but you're starting with 4500 people and and um yeah after that first river crossing i think the lead pack gets down to like two or three hundred people and then the second one it gets down to a hundred you know there's these little pinch points and and uh 
just, you know, we used to do a camp around the event. So we would take, you know, 10, 15 people to ride it and just having, so I have lots of power files and just seeing what the demands are. And, and actually the demands haven't changed in general, you know, with the new course, as far as like kilojoule work and it's still, you know, if you hide and you're really good at, at following wheels, you're going to be, you know, somewhere around that 3000 kilojoules. And then um, if you're doing some work, like um, I had an athlete or actually one of our coaches, he, um, he worked as a domestic for a lady that was, uh, she wanted to break sub six hours. So they, they were, and she didn't really like riding in the Peloton. So they were by themselves the whole day. And, and looking at his data, you know, not in the wind all day was more like 4,000 kilojoules. And so it's for a hundred miles, you know, 3000 kilojoules or less. And mm-hmm. that's, that's, you know, uh, it's one of the easiest places to go and do a hundred miles, I yeah. think just cause it, it is flat and, but you just get pulled along and it's like, yeah. man, you, you can never ride that fast by yourself. No, sitting in the group, you know, putting out 150 watts at 25 miles an hour <laughs> you can't do that by yourself yeah it, when you look at the new course which is much faster i think the lead leaders um were sub sub four hours last year or somewhere around that four hour mark um is, do you see that there's a couple are there some pinch points or there's some other demands within that 3,000 kilojoules yeah, I think, you know, for the most part, when you're sitting in, it's, you know, pretty low intensity, like, you know, zone one, zone two, even, but then, you know, Pistol Hill, you, there's a pretty good solid effort there. I think, you know, at least 10 minutes, pretty hard. Um, and then do online when you're coming back and hitting those rollers, that's another section that that's pretty demanding. I think, you know, that's even a 20 minute uh, maybe even a little bit more uh, effort where it's going to be uh, yeah, pr- pretty solid through that section. And then it's fast all the way back in to town from there. Yeah, looking at one of one of our athletes who was not in the league group last year, but he was for most of the race. There was a couple of uh, big efforts in the beginning, you know, at Escalante Hill, good up the old Spanish trail. And again, it's not very, none of these efforts are very long, you know, sub 10 minutes, but Pistol Hill was another big one. But the biggest effort was that Duval Mine Road is it's kind of this, I don't know, four, um, four 4% grade, something like that. But it's just long. And, um, then once you get to the top, there's some rollers up to the where the shootout has Sprint Hill. Yeah. So yeah, and it, it was shattering um last year through that area, lots of attacks. So you get, you know, big power spikes, then you're settling back into around threshold effort, trying to hold the wheel. And you know, it's just splintering and then got some uh, good regrouping after that um on the descents coming back into town. But that's where that major split happened and the breakaway of eight got off uh, right through there and uh, they stayed off to the finish. Um, but 
yeah, it's kind of a mix, uh, kind of reminds me of, you know, polarized training, that 80-20, you know, it's 80% yeah. easy and 20% really hard. Yeah, I guess that surprised me last year, <clears throat> excuse me, um, because just with the big distance after all those pinch points, I felt like it would be too easy, especially with in the in the race that, yeah, I would be able to latch back on. And I thought that the sprint would come down to a lot more people. I, mm -hmm. I, I thought there would be 50, 75 people in that lead group. And, and just for eight to get away uh, was surprising to me. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's just also the dynamics of the group. So I think there was definitely enough horsepower in that second group to catch back to the leaders but there's only a couple guys working so it's it's all dependent on the the group dynamics yeah, the other thing about this race you know this is the original grand fondo is what i always say because uh this is the first of these events where you have four thousand people or the, at least the one that i know of um that would have a time and then so if you do sub five hours uh you get the platinum pass, which gives you a starting position at the front of the race. So that is always a goal of, uh, you know, elite or amateur, you know, whether it's the first time you're doing the race or not, just so you can get that platinum pass and start at the front for the, for the next year. All right. And I think it, it qualifies you for up to two years, but it's a pretty important uh, thing is uh, if you're, you're trying to go for time or trying to stay with that lead group and, and, and if you don't have it, there there'll be people lining up at 3 a.m. Yeah. You know, at, at the beginning of what's called the gold group, uh, so that they can kind of you know latch on to those platinum riders as soon as possible. So um, I had you know two amateur athletes last year that I, if you just stay in the group and you stay consistent, you know, and you have a good the feeding plan it's it's not super difficult i think that we were, we were just kind of referring back to that you know 3000 kilojoules is not super hard to to do sub 5 hours and they were both right around 430 last year so nice nice yeah a lot of it's just that positioning in the group and utilizing the the peloton to break the wind for you it's uh, completely different than riding it solo lots of uh, opportunity to save energy oh yeah and if you ever see a tandem i always tell people if you're <laughs> climbing and you see a tandem and you're passing it you should just back off a little bit and just stick yeah. with the tandem and because when they go downhill or on the flats it's uh it's like having a car in front of you so yeah well I, as we move on from l2 where i i did want to kind of recap you know some of our zone two uh talk we've been doing a lot of this uh the past month in our newsletters kind of trying to define zone two for a lot of our riders and you know it's it's that time of the year where they're you know they're either starting their base training or they're they're about to take a break i, I have a couple riders that you know this is um El Tour de Tucson is their final event for the year. And then they'll, they'll take a couple of weeks off and, and they'll be starting that zone two training. So I, I did want to recap a little bit about that because it can be confusing with all these different zones out there. There, 
there are multitude of zones of how people uh, set up their training and those zones are really just a communication piece between you and your coach of the work that's being done and and that you're a lot of times you're trying to target you know whether it's the aerobic system or anaerobic or or your threshold and 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 so that that quantification of a zone just gives you uh that communication piece whether you're doing the work where you're targeting or not and and we here we work off of you know with most of our athletes being on power we have a seven zone system which is it was set up by andy coggan and it's it's pretty much the accepted system you know i'm not here to reinvent the wheel and 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 think that you know we're <laughs> we're going to be able to calculate something better than some uh, physiologist that, you know, that's what he's worked on all his life. So we, we do tend to, or we do use that, especially with power. And then if you're on heart rate, you're on a five zone system, which again, Andy Coggin and USA cycling and ever most heart rate systems are on a five, five zone system. And then you also have that polarized model, which uh, Dr. Steven Seiler set up, and and that is uh, a three zone system so you have the all these zones and then when you talk zone two training you want to make sure you know is that off a three zone system or is it seven zone or five zone or you know where am i you know because if you're in zone two off of the uh three zone system you know that's more of your threshold and so that's not uh the zone two that they're talking about when they talk zone two training so that would be their zone one <laughs> so our zone two since we're on a seven zone system if we look at that our zone two is the same as zone two but we have to include some of our zone three because the lower parts of zone three is that tempo and it's still very aerobic. So for our athletes, if we're doing all this talk on zone two and we have you doing some tempo efforts, which are in zone three, uh, you still are doing that zone two. And, and, and I think that's still confusing, but um, I'm hoping to, to clear that up a little bit. And, and traditionally, that's work done, you know, below around two millimoles of lactate, right? That's correct. And yeah. and if you don't have a lactate test to go off of, which I highly recommend if you have the ability, we try to get lactate tests done for all our athletes or, or do that through inside uh, software. But if you don't have that, then you know you can use the talking test you should you, you should be able to talk when you're in zone two and hold a conversation so even doing a podcast i should be able to to talk while i'm in zone two and and you may hear like it sounds like my breathing's a little labored like you would be able to know that or you would ask me hey are you are you riding your trainer while you're doing this and and i say yes so um, so you're able to talk and hold a conversation and, 
And that's, that's a good marker, you know, and you can test that anytime. Yeah. Shouldn't really be feeling much discomfort, if any at all, right, in the legs, like that burning sensation. No, it, like you said, it, it uh, you know, somewhere below two millimoles of lactate, you're going to be utilizing that and not accumulating any lactate at that point. Yeah. So, yeah, you don't, you won't feel anything. So, um, yeah, I think that's the hardest thing for a lot of athletes to get comfortable with being more comfortable in training. You know, a lot of people are so used to that sensation that lactate accumulation in the legs like that's the range where you're getting benefit but that's not always necessarily the case with a uh, zone work you're you're going to be pretty comfortable and i and i'm not the only one to say it i think that's the the biggest mistake with athletes it doesn't matter if you're a triathlete runner cyclist uh, is where they train in that that region that that's accumulating lactate, which is also accumulating fatigue. And that's the biggest mistake of, of most athletes is they just train there all the time because it feels like you're doing work. Yeah. And so it feels good. And you just go out and you ride, you know, ride or run that pace the whole hour, two hours, whatever. And uh, you come back and you feel tired and worked, but that's, yeah, that doesn't make you faster. That just keeps you the same, really. Yeah, <laughs> makes you tired. Yeah, um, and maybe we can get into that sometime. I don't know if we have time today, but there's these different models, you know, whether it's polarized or pyramidal, and 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 those different models of how how much time you should spend in those zones, and and um, yeah, it's it's getting better and better defined. I think as they get more and more of this data, you know, where athletes should be spending most of their time, but uh, just a hint, I mean, 80, they call it 80, 20 training where 80% is, is your, you're in that, you know, sub, you know, below the level that you can still hold a conversation. That's 80% of your training should be there. So, mm -hmm. um, well, that kind of transitions me into, you know, my little uh, exploration into this running is, is um, I've been doing it about six weeks, you know, running about three times a week. And Chad's been helping me and giving me some direction. And, and, uh, and we decided that it was time for me to do a field test. Yeah. How, how did it go for not, you? So you, uh, you picked a hard one to do too. <laughs> Yeah, so Chad Chad had uh, given me a recommendation on on what he has his athletes do, and and then I saw it as an opportunity to uh, to utilize our uh, inside software. We we do we are certified to to do the inside test, which is which is it's a software. Uh, that you enter in your values and I would say that you can do that from a lactate you know getting a lactate test and they have specific protocol for you to do and and I I do feel that that's the most accurate but they also have what they call a power performance decoder and what you basically do is you either cycle or run and you record your speed or power 
for these four different tests. And then the algorithm takes that information and gives you a lot of different <clears throat> information as far as like your basically builds out a lactate curve for you and then tells you how many carbohydrates you're burning versus, uh, versus uh, fat. And it's pretty detailed information. And from the athletes that I've used this with, um, it's, I don't know, within 2% accuracy. And, and, you know, you, you get to use your bike and your power meter and do it on your road. So I do think that there's a, a lot more comfort in that than going to a specific lab and, and, um, and, and getting, you know, the test done on uh, an uncomfortable environment. And some people don't even like that environment. So uh, there's pluses and minuses like everything. Yeah. I, I never felt like I could hit my, uh, normal numbers I could hit out on the road, uh, inside on a lab on one of those exercise bikes that I could never feel comfortable, you know, got getting out of the saddle and really putting out power like I normally do outside in that lab environment. And there's just no way I could do that. Yeah. So this is an option and maybe we'll have to, after L2 or kind of really see where you're at. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the test is, um, it's the same for run and swim. And this test, you know, we've been working with inside for four years now, and this test has changed and the algorithm has changed and gotten better over the years. So now what it's come down to is uh, a 20 second sprint um, after a warm up, of course. And, and you do have to follow the protocols because they, the software looks at your file, your workout file. And if you don't follow the protocols, it will not accept the file. And then it looks at, and then it cross checks all the numbers to make sure it will accept the file also. Um, and and I, I, I was very, cause I've had to ask athletes to go and redo portions of the test and that's never a fun thing so I, I was pretty adamant about following the protocol exactly and and uh, so before the 20 second or let me go back there's a 20 second sprint a three minute sprint or time trial six minute time trial and a 12 minute time trial so you have these four different tests and and uh and so before the 22nd uh, sprint, you have to, uh, after your warm up, you have to stand there for two minutes. And it wants you to at least two minutes to make sure that you're fully recovered and you're not moving. And so I followed that. And then, then you have a 12 minute uh, recovery time, which you can walk or jog or, or do nothing before the three minute test. And then 15 minutes between a three-minute test and six-minute uh, test. And then another 15 minutes between the six-minute test and 12-minute test. And, and you are able to do these on separate days um, over a three-day period and, and use that. And you can also just use it, you know, um, if you went on the shootout or a group ride and, and you, you did your 20-minute test as part of that ride, you know, as long as you had that protocol and at the very beginning, 
um, you can use it just on a normal ride also. Um, but I chose to do them all on the same day because I not run at speed except for once uh, during the six weeks. And I was afraid that if I ran at speed for even three of the tests and then did a 12 minute test today or tomorrow that I would be too sore and, and really not motivated. But so I, I was just gonna take it all in one day and uh, yeah, it was, it hurt. I, yeah. I was crying. I was crying several times. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I always joke that running's altered my rate of perceived exertion. You know, I, I got so comfortable suffering on the bike. Um, running just has blown that RPE scale out of the water for me. It's so much harder to be doing efforts like that than a three-minute effort on the bike. You know, just completely different sort of suffering. Yeah, I think that that's where I was. I didn't even know... I. I don't even remember the last time I did 20 seconds all out sprint, uh, yeah. maybe junior high. I, I, in junior high, ninth grade, I ran track. I, I, I wasn't very good at it, but I, I ran track. So I, that's where I refer back to all my running experiences. Actually, seventh grade, I ran hurdles. And then by ninth grade, I was I transitioned to uh, the, the mile and three miles. So. Um, but anyway, like 22nd, I just, I felt like I was flailing all over the place. I, I did, you know, I started running and then what, and then I was like, what am I doing? And then I couldn't look at my watch to know when 20 seconds was up. And, and, uh, and it was the form. I, I, it was just all foreign to me. And so it yeah. was, it was very, uh, uh, interesting feeling. It was like, oh, this is, this is what it's like to run. I and I'm sure I could do it better, but or better now on the second time. But I did that, and I think I ended up actually running like 24, 25 seconds before I realized that I needed to stop. Yeah. <laughs> and then once I did that, you know, I had a little bit better clue on three minutes, and I, I figured you know, I'm just kind of looking back to my past and our coach making us in second, 400 meters, and. And, you know, total high school coach where it's like, if you don't do it under 60 seconds, you're doing another one. And it's like, <laughs> if I can't do it one, it's under <laughs> 60, I don't know if I'm going to be able to two or three. <laughs> so I was like, oh, maybe I can run 800 meters, you know, in three minutes. And, uh, man, I was running hard. I started hard. It, it does the pro part of the protocol. They, they do suggest they kind of, uh, start hard that's better than than uh feeling like you needed to you had more to give so i started hard and man i thought i was like two minutes into the test and i looked down at my watch and it was 48 seconds so i had to <laughs> i had to take a take a step back on my pace and then uh then again same thing in a minute and a half i had to take a step back and and i i knew that the software would take it you know, two minutes, 45 seconds. So at 2.48, I was, uh, I slowed down and, and knew that I had enough of an effort for the software to accept. So I stopped at that point. Yeah. Do, do you think um, these efforts are just more of a re reflection of, you know, the training 
uh, you've been doing recently spent a lot of time in that fat max zone or do you think it's also you know reflecting just how much opportunity you have for improvement if you focus more on uh, some shorter intense efforts with the muscular you know focusing on building muscular strength and um, kind of running specific strength yeah I, I think the latter on that I, I don't think since I have not done any running and uh, I have not done any running at speed for the one mile experiment I did I I um I think I have a lot of improvement like there's just the muscle the there's just the muscles just not there I don't think it's yeah. a lot different than cycling and so you know I and I do feel when I was running faster that my form was very different from when I was running um you know in that that uh, zone two running that I've been doing. So I, I, and, and so I, I am interested in, in trying to develop a little bit more of my muscular system around, around the running aspects of it. And I, I know that they, that runners do a lot of that, um, not only through running in certain drills, but also through, you know, some work in the weight room. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's one area where you probably have the most potential for improvement is just that that muscular strength, very specific to to running and running me mechanics. And I think you know, a couple weeks, even three weeks, uh, including a couple runs a week where you're doing some of that specific speed work, you're going to see huge improvements. No, oh, that, that sounds. I mean, that all sounds good to me. Any, any sort of improvement. I mean, yeah. and I, and I do think, you know, as I went into the six minute test, again, I, I mean, you know, I had to slow down a bit after about halfway. Um, I think I was running somewhere around a six minute pace. Um, and I ended up, you know, 639 pace wise. Uh, and, and then I, I, I think what I remarked to yesterday, I felt most comfortable on the long test. I, mm -hmm. I felt like, uh, you know, that I was holding a pace that I could continue. And, and every time, I mean, I, I think I went a little faster than what I imagined. I mean, I, I was just hoping like the 12 minute test, that if, if I got something under eight minute mile pace, I would be stoked tonight. And I did try to pace that a little bit more, but, when I got to the pace that I felt comfortable, you know, I was around seven minute pace and, and, um, and then I, you know, I ended up slowing down again. I think when I got to 10 minutes, I was, uh, I was pretty worked and, and started to slow down from there. But one of the things I noticed <clears throat> was my arms got tired. Yeah. Like, and that surprised me. Yeah, it's weird. It's kind of like the lactate accumulation in your arms. Yeah, you know? like it's all building up, and then it's just loading up in the arms. I, I've had that sensation too. Uh, I've finished, you know, uh, running races where my arms hurt more than my legs. Yeah, I was that was very surprising, and and again, it just kind of goes back that. Uh, 
you know, I've been running for six weeks and I just, I need to put in more time. And I'm starting to realize that, and I think we've talked about this, that, you know, it, it could take a couple of years to where I'm feeling pretty comfortable on runs mm -hmm. um, and, and, and runs at paces that I think I can do. And I, I don't mind going slow. I, I, I enjoyed it actually just going out there and just kind of running with my dogs and, and, um, you know, at that talking pace again. And, yeah. and, uh, that's, I have no problems with that. So I, 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 I think the test kind of confirmed a, a few things that I know it's just going to take some time and I have some muscular adaptation to, to take yeah. on. But I think, you know, looking back at your athletic history, you've spent so much time riding and you, you have good physiology. It's just transitioning it to running. It's not going to happen overnight. It'll take some time to, you know, uh, transition that cycling efficiency over, over to running and get that uh, full adaptation. But I think approaching it from the perspective of almost trying to do the least amount of running to, you know, give you the best results and just try to limit um, potentials for injury, you know, and still incorporating the, the bike a lot of the time for the higher volume and getting in some really quality um, focused zone work with running higher intensity with the running, I think is going to be probably the best route and, help keep you healthy uh, throughout the process. Yeah. And I think that's important. Even today I feel pretty sore and, uh, and, and I'm already wanting to like, Oh, I should go run tomorrow or something. And, yeah. and I'm already having to tell myself, to, Hey, there's no rush and yeah. it's okay if you miss a couple of days of running and, you know, maybe see what I feel like on, on a Sunday and, and, and really, I, you know, I've been running pretty consistent and even having a few days off, it's not, you know, it's not the end of the world. So yeah, I, uh, I'm not, I'm not here to win the Olympics or anything. And I just need to, to be consistent and, and injury free. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I think, you know, from my experience with running, it's easy, it's really easy to overdo it um, because, you know, you don't, experience the total amount of you know damage you've done to your legs until three days after and if you double up workouts you know or, or four days depending on how hard you went so it's easy to you know do another workout before that you know delayed onset muscle soreness fully kicks in and then you've you've doubled up that that damage before you've experienced uh how how painful it really is, you know, or that full amount of uh, damage you've done to your muscles. So. Yeah, no, it's, 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 uh, it's different from yeah. cycling. So it's having to take, take more of that into consideration than, you know, you just don't have the muscular damage in cycling. So it's, yeah. it's something totally different. Yeah, cycling, you can double up, you know, VO2 max intervals, no problem, <laughs> no impact associated with it. And you're pushing that adaptation quicker. But running, it's just such a longer kind of tedious process. It's it's slow, slow going. Yeah, well, I'm excited. I, uh, 
I'm enjoying this process and, and learning something new. And, and, uh, I keep looking, you know, part of my motivation for all this is we have these mountains to the West of us. Uh, and, uh, I have a couple routes that, that I plan to hike. And so, you know, getting to that point where I can hike or run part of that is, uh, sounds exciting. And that's part of my motivation. So, um, where I know we're kind of getting late on time. I mean, do we have time to go over the test or, you know, should we save that for another, uh, for another podcast? Uh, it's up to you. Um, yeah, I think you, you went over the protocol. Um, I think we could do a, a quick overview of the data it gave you with the different zones and how you're kind of, working on refining the zones and applying it to future workouts. Yeah, let's, let's kind of go over it real quick. Um, uh, sorry, I had some dad duties there. No so, worries. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I got a few minutes. So with this inside test, it, it takes in a lot of uh, information, you know, as far as your body mass and height and, and your projected BSA and body fat. And, and, and some of those things do, you know, I put those things in as uh, those variables in as I know those things. Um, and as far as the body fat, I think you were asking me about this. It's, it does have a default measurement and, and, uh, I know, you know, I, uh, a, a healthy U us male is, is around 12%. And so I put 11, um, I, in the past I've measured, you know, in between six and nine several times. And so I don't have a body fat mass measurement here. Uh, if you do go out, I do suggest athletes go out and get that done on occasion if we think it's going to be a, an issue. Um, but the DEXA scan is, uh, is the number one thing to get out there. And I think it's, it's around $50. It's not super expensive. Um, it doesn't make a big difference here. Now, if, if I put 11 and I'm actually 24%, that, that can make some differences because you're, you're going, to not be able to clear lactate as well with a, with a higher fat, you got, you got quite a bit more resistance there. So, um, knowing that if I'm not 11, if I'm actually 12 or 13, 14 or, or nine, it's not going to make that big a difference. So I did not go and get a DEXA scan before this, uh, before the test. So it does have the test does have all the raw data, but then it will give some some bench, benchmarks, some physiological benchmarks. And what that does, depending on there's three level of athletes that they have you put yourself at, whether that's uh, recreational, uh, amateur or pro. And so whatever you put there, it's going to these benchmarks, it's going to compare you across that that range. And when you put pro, I mean, it's the pros that you're, you're benchmarking yourself against. So I, I have made the mistake of uh, putting athletes there and then 
and then they're all very low and they look at their benchmarks and it makes them a little sad. So uh -huh. I, I, I do think it, I would like it if the, if they would have a little bit better, um, maybe uh, five tiers instead of just three. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's, it's pretty high quality. I, I have myself at amateur. So, but even then I like my VO two, it says I'm at, uh, at 50, um, which, you know, when I look at my data on WKO on cycling, I'm, I'm usually around 59. So I, I'm, uh, that, that does look a little low to me, but I think the VO2 max test is highly dependent on that 20 second sprint and the yeah. three minute. And I, I just don't think I, you know, looking at the test now, I don't think I have the musculature to even to, to run that fast. So yeah, it's like your legs are spinning you know, maybe, out, unable to tap into your real fitness. Yeah. And I actually felt like that yesterday, a little bit yeah. along with my arms failing. I was like, ah, I can't move my legs faster. Yeah. Um, so I, I do think that that may come more in line to what I normally do is I get some, uh, get some musculature behind that the the vla max this is one of the big things um to measure it's it's your glycolytic power and so this is a benchmark in a lot of european race teams uh, uh where okay, and so i'm at it goes on a scale of zero to one um and so I'm at 0.18, which is very low. And, but I would assume that I'd be very low because I have been doing zone two training a lot. I don't hardly ever ride super fast. I, I don't even remember the last time I did a group ride. And if I do ride fast, whether it was at Spirit World or, or I did the Leadville stage race this year, it wasn't like for sprint power. So, mm -hmm just to kind of give some measurements uh, or some benchmarks. So the Grand Tour riders, you know, the, the uh, I was going to say Chris Froome, but maybe the ex-Chris Froome riders and uh, Pajakar and those guys, they're going to, they usually aim those guys to be around 0.3. Or your elite marathon runners, 0.3 uh, is a pretty normal uh, measurement that they try to aim that and you can design your training around whether you want to increase or decrease your your VLA max um, so that in makes terms sense of to me your, your goal being the ultra I mean having it really low is going to be beneficial though oh absolutely I've, I've had riders come in and, and be at 0.5 and 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 they want to do Leadville or something and being like, all right, we need to lower your VLA max. Mm -hmm. And so then that helps us determine how we need to, to build a strategy on, on getting that rider to their, their, their goal event. Because if they come and say, Oh, I want to do, you know, uh, I'm a sprinter and I want to be on the track. Um, those guys are usually measuring towards one. Um, yeah. and so, you know, if, if, if I came to you and said, Hey, I want to be a track sprinter, then we're going to have to change a lot of my, my training. Um, 
or, you know, talking about running, if I, oh, I want to do the hundred meter dash, you know, um, you know, then I would have, definitely have to change the type of training that I'm doing. Yeah. Um, classics riders, uh, they're, they tend to be kind of in between the grand tour and the sprinters they are going to be around 0.5, 0.45. Um, and that's not that I've trained these, these are just going off of some of the webinars and with some of the other coaches I've been on, uh, webinars with through the inside training. So it, it does, you know, it, it can help, uh, you design your training when you find this information out about your athlete. Um, the anaerobic threshold, it's in meters per second for me. Um, and that, so that'll be your, basically your MLSS, your maximum lactate steady state is how they define it. So I don't, um, that would be, if you're in a three zone system, this would be the top of zone two um, is where this would measure out. So if you're doing, if you're on a cycling, a power meter, you would, you would get a wattage for that. Um, so that actually ranked me, you know, on the benchmarks, I know, you out there can't, can't see it, um, but it ranked me pretty well, the little meter. And then my fat max was pretty high, burning uh, a maximum of 465 kilocalories per hour. And it gives me uh, a speed to run at there. And then the carb, my carb metabolism was also very good and my available glycogen. So it you know, along with that, and then you can go into the next set of graphs where it, it plots out your lactate curve and your fat metabolism and carb metabolism and and then how fast you're accumulating lactate. And so you can you can look at you know where that lactate is accumulating uh, and how fast you're burning it off. So if you, were to have me do these 10 by 30 second um, intervals at a certain pace, uh, we'd know exactly how fast my, or how long my recovery. And maybe that's something that we look at, at how long, you know, is it going to take four minutes for me to recover from that? You know, depending on whether we want to accumulate lactate or we don't, because there's two different ways to do those intervals. Um, uh, like a cycling interval is five, five by three minutes, you know, as fast as you can with three minutes recovery and three minutes recovery is not enough. So you're accumulating lactate over those, um, versus do five by three minutes, but I want you to recover and we want maximum power for each one of these intervals. Then we can look at this and, and know what it's going to be for recovery which I, I would assume would be around 12 minutes but i don't know we'll have to read we'll have to calculate that out um and then you can then you can see my lactate curve and where my lactate combustion crosses over at that lactate production which is your threshold um and then you can look at you know how many you know fat how much fat you're burning at what speed, how much carbs you're burning at what speed and where those two uh, switch over. Um, so then, you know, with this information, you know, let's say it's 
a few weeks before Leadville or a marathon, you can you can really dial in the nutrition because then you'll know, hey, I'm going to be running the marathon at this pace, or I'm going to be doing, uh, you know, Leadville averaging this pace. We can look at how many carbohydrates or how much how much carbohydrates that you can uh, that you need to, to fulfill that. So. Yeah, I, that's an awesome feature. I didn't know was included with this test. Um, that's really useful. And one of the coolest features, which I didn't do for me on here, but you can take the test and you data and oh, 0.18, you know, VLA max. What if I increase that to 0.3? You know and then see what does that change? Is that better for me or is it not better for me? So then you can kind of look at, um, you know, some variables on where you need to take the training. Let's say, you know, like like the 50 via two max and we're like, well, we know you can do 59 on a bike. Um, let's, what if we got you to be able to do 59 on the run? And we really designed a lot of your training around that. And then you put that into the calculation and then you can kind of get out, well, this is what the future would look like. This would be your, your threshold or your FTP or whatever you want to call it. If you were able to increase your VO2 max, or if you increased your VLA max, or if you lost weight. Um, so you can change all these variables and then you can have some specific set goals for your athletes. And I, I think that's that's probably one of the most valuable things out of, out of all this information. Um, one of the things that when I was doing this test or even it was to make sure that I was running at the right pace, you know, I, I was going off a feel. I went off some heart rate calculations, you know, max heart rate versus um, my resting heart rate, which I got a new max heart rate on this test. I don't know if you saw that, but I, my new max heart rate, 167, man, it's gone down so much as my age has gone up. Yeah. Um, um, but I wanted to make sure that I was running at that pace because I've been pretty much holding to um, sub 130 heart rate. And so now off of these calculations and that and that was around on flat ground, it was around 915. Uh, to 9:45 pace. Um, so this calculates my fat max in the zone of 9:30 to 11:24, um, with the target pace or maximum combustion of fat at 10:21 uh, minutes per mile. Um, so that was that was comforting to see that I've been pretty right on, and actually I probably need to slow down just a little bit um, as we. Because as we target that system, and and so this fat max zone is the top of zone two. That would you know as we go back to what we were talking about zone two earlier. In this system, the inside system, fat max is the very top of zone two. So that's where you want to target. You know, if you're trying to change or get the most out of that uh, metabolic adaptation that that's where you should be doing your training so yeah well you're pretty spot on off the of field so that's good reassurance that you're hitting the zone yeah no i think 
it was good and overall i i think uh the test went well and and i because i seriously uh was contemplating even even finishing the test after the three minute interval and uh so i um yeah, I was pretty happy. I think maybe it would have been a little better if I had a little bit more volume under me or a little bit more running at speed. Yeah. But again, we're just trying to set benchmarks. So in the end, you know, it is what it is. And it kind of gives us some a good idea of where we're at and where we need to go. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be uh, cool to see uh, the improvement over time too. You know, if you do this test again in the future and uh, what sort of gains you've made. No, I, it'll be a while. I'll need to do the amnesia thing a yeah. little bit before <laughs> I do the test again. But I, I do think uh, these inside tests work best if you get them like, I would say three to four times a year. Um, yeah. So that, because a lot of times you, you know, with like even professional cyclists, they're gonna, let's say you're a classics rider, uh, like, Peter Sagan or something you're in the beginning of the season you're going to try to lower typically lower your VLA max but as you get closer to race time knowing that you need to to get up those hills pretty quick and be able to put a sprint on at the end you're going to try to increase that VLA max yeah so you're going to want to do multiple tests and then if you are using it uh, for your fueling strategy uh, you know, three weeks prior to your event is a good time to to do a final test on that and kind of dial that in. So, but I actually I need to to go, and I, I know that um, we'll be looking forward to your L tour experience on the next uh, on the next episode. And then we also we're going to go into a little bit of goal setting because it's uh, the next step after everybody does base work and and start looking at setting some goals. Nice. Oh, talk to you later. All right. We'll have a great race tomorrow. All right. Thanks. See ya. Bye. What is it?